Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. Glad you are here as we get started with the book of Revelation study tonight. This is study number 19, so we are approaching the halfway mark of getting through the book of the Revelation. Tonight we're going to study verses 1 through 14. Uh, we, as we walk through the book of Revelation, we are studying right now the Great Tribulation. We're in the midst of the Great Tribulation in the study, which is, of course, a seven-year period of time in the future of this old world. We have not reached this point at this juncture of our history yet. But when the great tribulation comes, that seven-year period of God pouring out His wrath, He is releasing His unbridled wrath and judgment upon sin and Satan and death and unrepentant sinners. Now, I believe, as we see in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, that the church is out of here uh, after... Chapter 4 opens in the book, the church is never mentioned again. I believe that before the great tribulation begins, that the church is raptured out of this world. We are living in heaven with our Lord, so we're seeing this happening from the other side. And the lost who come to Jesus Christ during the great tribulation are indeed saved. They are preserved. I want you to remember that though the church is not here, the church age has been closed as the great tribulation comes, that does not mean that people will not be saved during this seven-year period. Uh, they won't be part of the church, but they are saved. Now, also, as we've studied the book of Daniel in chapter 7, we find out that the, the Christians of the great tribulation period will be greatly persecuted. We see that in the book of Revelation as well. Yet, while there are many, many saved, also, we know that there are many who continue to reject the love of Jesus Christ during the tribulation time. And because of their rejection, they are bound for hell. They are headed that direction. And without a decision for the Lord Jesus, that will indeed be their destination. So the Lord is still offering heaven and hope and salvation and grace during the great tribulation. And there are many who accept it. In fact, the Bible says that there's an unnumbered, uh, uh, a numbered multitude of people who accept Christ as Savior, but also there are many, many, many who continue to reject Jesus as Savior. Now, let me remind you, as we look back at Revelation chapter 5, which we've already studied, that God gives to Jesus Christ, the Lamb, a sealed scroll. And as Jesus opens each one of these seals, a portion of that scroll is revealed. A portion of judgment is revealed. With the breaking of every seal, the, a great tribulation is poured upon the earth. Remember that there are seven seals which seal up the scroll of God, the deed of ownership to the universe and to the earth and to the people of God. But as Jesus unrolls the scroll and unseals it, seal by seal, a great tribulation is poured upon the earth. We are now going to enter tonight chapter 11 of the book of the Revelation. And at this point in our study, all seven seals have been broken on the scroll. The tribulation of God 
is in full gallop here. The world is in chaos. Remember that nature is shutting down. The world as an ecosystem is dying. The grass is gone. Trees are dying. Uh, The ecosystem of the ocean has been affected. And so the earth is truly dying. Nature is shutting down. But at this point, hell is heating up. So we see a transition here as the earth shuts down and as history is changing. Now in chapter 10, we see the writer of Revelation who is John, the old disciple who had been exiled to the island of Patmos, a prison island by the uh, Roman government. John, in this book, in chapter 10, is commanded by God to eat the little book, which is this unsealed scroll. Remember that it is sweet in his mouth, but it nauseates his stomach. It is bitter in his stomach. That's on your sheet. God's Word is very sweet to the saved. There are so many promises. In fact, there are over 7,000 promises in God's Word to those who are saved. We can live each one of those promises day by day, go through many years before we begin turning around and starting the promises over again. God's Word is sweet to the saved. But when we truly digest its meaning, we realize that those who reject the Savior will suffer the consequences of eternal separation from a loving God. It's not that God wants to send people to hell, but remember that we are created with free will. We have to make the decision that we're going to accept Him, that we're going to receive Him, that we are going to be disciples, that we're going to follow Him, that He is our Lord and our Master. We're not our own Lord anymore, but He is our Lord, and He is the one who gives us leading for life. People have the opportunity... But according to the book of the Revelation, there are many who reject the opportunity and turn it away. How sad. How bitter for God and for us when we know the sweet promises of the Lord and yet we minister to a world and many of the world are turning the Lord away. If you would like to write down this reference, Matthew 13, 41 through 42, Jesus himself says that there are many who will turn him away. And this is their eternity. In Matthew 13, verse 41, it says, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, you'll notice that it says that the Lord is going to separate out them which do iniquity. All of us do iniquity. Amen? According to Romans 3.23, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, but those who are forgiven are forgiven of that sin, forgiven of that iniquity. It has been taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. We have been forgiven of that. It no longer is on our account. But those who have not been forgiven... Those who have not received Him, those who have rejected Him willfully will be separated from the Lord and from all things of God in hell for all eternity. And you'll notice that Jesus says this is a place where there will be gnashing of teeth. If you break down that word gnashing, it basically means that they will regret for all eternity that they turned Him away. The gnashing of teeth is a sign of regret. 
We were created as people of free will. God allows us to have faith. God wants us to have salvation. You remember 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it, it says, God doesn't want anyone to perish. It is not God's will that anyone perish. But it's everyone's individual decision to come to Jesus as Savior when they're invited to do that. How sad it must be for our God to see one of His children purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, lost for eternity because they would not come to Him. They would not humble themselves before God and simply say, Lord, I am a sinner and I do need forgiveness. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And there is no other way. For those who reject Him, they will eternally be separated from Him. But again, remember in the great tribulation, countless numbers will be saved, according to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Also, according to Revelation, many will behold these tremendous signs from God and yet reject Him. During the tribulation period, God is going to send two special heavenly prophets to call this world to Jesus Christ. They are going to have an awesome testimony to Jesus. They will be accompanied by signs and wonders on your sheet for three and a half years. Let's read about these two great witnesses who are going to appear during the heat of the Great Tribulation and what they do and what happens to them. Revelation chapter 11, look at verse 1. Hear these words. Be reminded from chapter 1, verse 3, that when we simply read the words, we are blessed. So here's the blessing tonight. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony... The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry. And shall send gifts one to another. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. 
And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood up upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his precious, holy, mighty, unchanging word. Remember that Revelation now is speaking about events that are ahead of you and me. They've not yet taken place. According to Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, John is told to measure the temple of God in Jerusalem. Is there a temple in Jerusalem now? No. That temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. But by God's Word, we know that the temple someday soon is going to be rebuilt because it appears here in Revelation chapter 11. In fact, I have read in the past that there are stones presently cut out and waiting and that the priestly garments are already made for the temple that is yet to come. In Revelation, John is told to measure the Holy of Holies and the altar area of the temple, but he is said to leave the outer court unmeasured. The outside court is called the court of the Gentiles, and it will be trampled by unsaved people of all nations for 42 months, for three and a half years, that area of the temple grounds will be trampled by the unsaved and the ungodly. In fact, in the middle of the Great Tribulation, on your sheet, the Antichrist, who is the most powerful man, the most powerful unsaved man in the world, will bodily move into the temple. And he will turn on the Jews. He will declare himself to be God as he takes up that seat in God's own temple. And he will persecute the Jews and the saved terribly. Now that's not stated here, but it is stated, write this down, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Listen to these words. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is relating to what we see in Revelation chapter 11, that the Antichrist himself will set up shop, will set himself up as God, seated in the very temple of God that has been rebuilt. During the period of time when the Antichrist is ruling the nations and claiming to be God, God is going to send two witnesses to this world. These are real people. But the question is, who are they? 
these two witnesses, these two, these two prophets who are sent by God to the world. Well, after much study, I studied this in 2000, and I've restudied it, and I've come to the same conclusion that these two individuals are Moses and Elijah. They have returned. They've come here from the heavenlies to be these two witnesses. Revelation chapter 11, verse 6 it says that they have power to shut the sky of rain. They have the power to turn water to blood. And they have the power to smite the earth with plagues. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah denied the rain to fall. If you remember in Exodus chapter 17, Moses turned the Nile River under God's power to blood. He called the plagues upon the Egyptians in Exodus chapters 7 through 11. Well, would, practically speaking, you know, one of the things that we hear so often, and it is true, when, when a person goes to heaven, whatever they leave here, heaven is so wonderful and heaven is so glorious that no one would ever want to come back. Why would Moses and Elijah come back? Well, they did it before. If you look at Matthew chapter 17, they were the two who came back from heaven at Jesus' transfiguration. So they have come once again. And I believe that. I'm sure there are many other opinions about who the two prophets are, but I believe in my studied opinion that they are Moses and Elijah from the evidence that we have in God's Word. Now, as you read Revelation chapter 11, you will notice that these men are very powerful. And they are able to kill with fire from their mouth. They are not going to be killed until they have completed their mission that God has given to them. And they have only one message. This is on your sheet. There's only one message that the two prophets have. They are witnesses to Jesus Christ, and they are witnesses to His salvation. On the other side of that same coin, they are witnesses to those who are rejecting Christ, and they're witnessing that they will be going to hell if a change does not come for the Savior. If you look at chapter 11, verse 3, it says that these men are clothed in sackcloth. That's mourner's clothing. They are mourning. Those clothes are symbolizing their mourning and God's broken heart over the lost. It is not God's will that one be lost. So they're dressed in mourner's clothing because so many are continuing to reject the Savior. Now, look at verse 7, chapter 11, verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. God is not going to let anything happen to these two prophets until their mission and their ministry is done for that certain period of time. God is going to protect them until their ministry and message is complete. But when their God-allotted time of prophecy has come to an end, the Antichrist is going to rise up, overpower them, and he is going to violently kill these two witnesses of God. Scripture teaches us that telling the whole truth of God is not going to please and it is not going to soothe the lost. In fact, 
when we live and preach and teach the Word of God, it can indeed bring persecution. There are persecuted Christians in our very world this night, this day. We're grateful that we live in a nation where we are still somewhat protected. I believe that that protection is going to be lifted more and more in days to come. But tonight, there are people who are violently persecuted in our world for being Christ followers. In the days of the Great Tribulation, Christ followers are going to be greatly, violently persecuted because they're telling the entire truth of God, which includes heaven, but it also includes hell. And the unsaved do not want to hear about hell. When these two prophets have warned about hell, when they are dead... What happens? All of the unsaved world celebrates their death. Their voices, their call, their warnings have now been silenced. And because they now lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem, the world celebrates that they have been silenced. Their constant voices that are pleading for people to come to Jesus have now been killed. And the unsaved are glad that all the warnings and all the preaching is done. These two prophets lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem. Notice in chapter 11, verse 9, that John says they lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And the interesting thing is, it says that all the world will gaze. That's on your sheet. Will gaze at their bodies. Now, when the apostle John wrote this book well over 2,000 years ago, there was no way that the whole world could begin to gaze on the two bodies of these dead prophets lying in the streets of Jerusalem. But we know today that it is absolutely within a second available to the world. If that image is to be shown to the world, today it can happen. It could not have happened in John's day. In fact, I don't guess it could have happened 50 years ago, but it can happen today that all the world can gaze on these dead bodies lying in the streets. But the lost population of the world in the Great Tribulation is so glad to see the death and the silencing of these prophets that they actually exchange presents, send each other presents because the prophets have been silenced. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is folly or it's offensive to those who are perishing. So when the offense is gone, the lost celebrate. However, after three and a half days with their dead bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem, while people still rejoice that they have been silenced, God is going to resurrect these two prophets. And as they stand up, a voice will call from heaven saying, come up hither, and they ascend back to the home from which they came. Revelation chapter 11 verse 12 says that in the sight of those who brought their death, they're going to go back to heaven wrapped in a cloud of God's glory. And again, according to Scripture, in that very hour, an earthquake is going to erupt in Jerusalem. One-tenth of the city will be destroyed. You will notice that 7,000 people will be killed in this great earthquake. And the ones left over will attribute glory 
to God. God is continuing to speak. God is continuing to call people to himself. And there are some who come to the point of giving glory to him in these days. Now, as we study the two prophets who proclaim God's message during the, some of the worst of the Great Tribulation, I believe that they teach three things that we need to know tonight as the Lord's church. Just as these two prophets are going to be commissioned in a day that's ahead of us, they will be commissioned to preach Jesus Christ as the way, and they're going to warn the lost. Their ministry tomorrow is our ministry today. We are to be doing the same thing that these prophets will be doing for the world. If Clifford Baptist Church ever sidesteps lifting up Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, if we ever water down or delete the message of God's grief over the sinner, but the truth that any unrepentant, rejecting sinner who dies from this life, if we water down the truth that they are going to hell, we have stepped outside of God's holy commission to preach His Word. We will be detracting from the whole truth of God that's revealed to us in His Word. So, the first truth from the two prophets. They're going to preach a message. They will not stray from that message. They will be honest. They will be truthful. They will call people to Christ. But they will also tell the rejecter, as a warning, you will go to hell. And that's why they died. We have that same message. And we're not to back down from the message. We're under strict orders to tell the whole truth of the Word of God. Not part of it, but the whole truth, just as the prophets did. The second truth that we learn tonight, the second thing these two prophets teach us, is that we probably will not always be popular by preaching and teaching and living and witnessing the full truth of God. We may not be applauded by the entire world when we say outside of Jesus, there is no other path to God Almighty. And I'm sure you know that we live in a world more and more where people are seeking a multiplicity of ways to come to God, but there still is only one way. Amen? And though the world might say there are many ways, we stand on the truth. There is but one way to God Almighty, and that is through His Son, Jesus. And when we stay strictly according to that word, it will not always be popular. It wasn't for the prophets. It will not be for us. There are multitudes who are traveling that wide road, going through the wide gate, as we see in Matthew chapter 7. They don't want to hear about or know about or travel the narrow road that is only through Christ as Savior. But that is our stand because that is the truth. And we will not stray from that. But it does not mean we'll be popular. The third lesson we learn from the two prophets. When we carry out our task for Jesus Christ with honor and with truth, until God says we have finished our course, these two prophets show us that God will keep us safely in the palm of His hand until our mission in His timing is done. I heard Adrian Rogers say once upon a time, that he believed that we live eternal life on this earth until our ministry is done. In other words, 
we will not be taken off this earth until our ministry of following Christ is done. And he actually said, we are living eternal life while we're doing the ministry. When that moment is completed, then we will be taken home. When my last day comes on this earth, I want to be able to say, as Paul said in 2 Timothy, my course is finished, my race is run, and I have kept the faith. Isn't that what we want to say on our last day? That we have completed that which God gave us to do. I believe that there are many who are saved, but the Bible terms it that a lot of people will get in by the skin of their teeth. Though they're saved because they express faith in Jesus Christ, they have not completed their ministries. Our prayer together is that whatever God assigns you and me to do. And we will all be different because we're different people with different talents, with different callings, with different lives. But whatever God calls you to do and me to do as individuals, our prayer together is that he will use us until the last day when our course is run, our race is finished, and we've finished what he called us to do. How sad to think that there will be some who stand before the Lord, even as saved people, and the Lord said, will say, you wasted too many days. You didn't finish what I called you to do. Our ministry every day is so very important. We, we might do different things. We might take vacations, but we never take a vacation of the daily work of witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that every one of us will say tonight, Lord, Help me with truth. Finish my course and do what you've called me to do, what you've set aside for me to do in this world as your minister. I pray we will rededicate our lives to that truth that we are to follow him in all things. Tonight, if there's one person in this sanctuary who has never come to Jesus as Savior, I cannot close this moment without inviting you to him. I believe those two prophets, day after day after day, hammered the truth. You can come to Jesus. You can be saved. You can be given heaven if you simply fall before him and say, Lord, I am a sinner, but I believe you died for me on the cross, and I give my life to you. Tonight, you can say the same thing. Lord, I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner, and I know, Lord, that you saved me by the bloodshed on the old rugged cross. You gave yourself to pay the price for my sin. And through you, I can be forgiven and saved. I come to you as my Savior. If you need to say that tonight, he is willing and ready, arms open to receive you.